The Truth News Network. A school board cleans up the syllabus, out with the propaganda, in with the education, and promptly the school board meeting is overrun with those organizing to put the propaganda back into the schools and to make it permanent. Not New York, not Los Angeles. This is happening in Wisconsin. Where do you go for guidance? How do you take your country back? Who dares to tell you the truth? We do. TNN. Truth News Network and Dan Newman. Wow, the noise is getting deafening if it wasn't already. I mean, every day now, every day, it seems like there's a new chapter on a previous debacle or two or three or four or five or six. We can't even keep count. We've lost count of how many we have going on at the same time here in the United States. But today on the show, we're going to get our arms wrapped around it all. we got a lot to talk about. United Nations hosted your president, Joe Biden, yesterday, made his first appearance as president there, had some very remarkable things to say to the leaders from around the world. We're going to touch on a bit of that. And of course, as you heard, it was confirmed yesterday, Gabby Petito was the person, that body that they found up there, and the official cause of death by the coroner, homicide. There's a lot more to go with that story. I got to be honest with you. I'm not certain we'll ever find out exactly what happened. Her fiance, who's on the run somewhere, I personally think his parents know where he is. I don't know why. It's just kind of a gut feeling, uh, hiding, and then bringing attorney in at the very beginning to say something to the FBI about uh, our client is not even going to talk with you, nor are his parents going to talk to you. So they've known from the beginning, apparently, that there was something going on between he and Gabby, and obviously it ended in the worst possible way. Our hearts go out to her loved ones, her family, her friends, and our prayers go with that family because it's, it's just uncanny to think about a young woman slaughtered like she was slaughtered by her fiancé. I guess you can technically call that domestic violence, and I have never been able to understand domestic violence of any kind. I don't care what it is. It's, it, it, it's just part of the anger thing that is amped up with all kinds of particular issues, specific things that happen to people that they just don't know how to handle. Fear, anger, Those things all feed into something that eventually, in many cases, turns out to be bad for those involved. And our hearts go out to our family. What else is going on? We're going to begin today at our southern border. And I know it's no surprise to you that things are really, really, really getting bad. We're going to start this. Maria Bartiromo with uh, Fox News Business had Representative Gonzalez from Texas had him on her show, and they talked about what's happening in Del Rio, and it ain't good. Joining me right now is Texas Congressman. He is a member of the Appropriations uh, Committee. He is Tony Gonzalez. Congressman, it's good to see you. Thanks very much for being here. And I know Del Rio is in your district, so let's start there. What's going on in Del Rio, Congressman? 
The southern border, especially in Del Rio, is as bad as it's ever been. You know, uh, I urge President Biden needs to declare a national emergency, get FEMA involved, get the National Guard involved, and help secure our border. Because bottom line is Texas is already doing that. We're having to spend, Texas is having to spend resources in order to secure uh, our, the southern border. You know, the chaos that it has created, the economic impact, you know, by having the, the Del Rio International Bridge shut down has created an economic impact on small businesses in and around this community. It's a terrible thing. It's not getting any better. The bulk of migrants aren't getting returned back to their country of origin. They're getting released to get a court date years later. Only hundreds of, of migrants are getting sent back to Haiti. Many of them are becoming unruly and they're attacking uh, Border Patrol agents. I mean, it is all a chaotic mess that starts and ends with the Biden administration. Well, I don't, I don't understand how it is possible that the administration is not acting. I mean, this is now in our faces. At one point, there were 15,000 people under that bridge waiting. Uh, tell me where these people are going. When they're getting the NTR notice to report in a year, two years, five years, whatever it is, where are they going then? Do we know where in America the, the, these migrants are being uh, transported to? Yeah, I was I was in Del Rio on Thursday, and as I was making my my uh, making my way around, speaking with the various different migrants, uh, many of them were headed to uh, to South Florida. Many of them were, were trying to head to communities with with other Haitians uh, are at. Now, the reason they're coming through Del Rio is because it's a criminal organization. These cartels have created this efficient process that brings them through Del Rio. They get processed. They go, but but everyone's impacted. You know, they're getting bused to San Antonio, oftentimes to San Antonio and they're getting flown from San Antonio to their uh, their you know to their host uh, city whatever it may be but the problem is is they're not getting court dates for years on end this problem can be uh, solved with a few different things one of those pieces is adding immigration judges to the border so that way when folks come over they get their 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 case heard immediately and guess what if you don't qualify for asylum you need to be returned to your country of origin and right now about 80 to 88 to 89 percent of folks do not qualify for asylum. Unbelievable. It's amazing to me that in Afghanistan, you've got the Taliban running things, deciding on who gets into America. And here at the border, you've got the Mexican cartels deciding who gets into America. How much are the Mexican cartels being paid each head that they say, yes, you can get into America? Are they bringing drugs? When I was there, there was fentanyl coming on to the border as well. And what about COVID testing? Go through those three items for us real quick, because I want to get to infrastructure and the spending plans before you go. Of course, and this is the dangerous part of it. You know, roughly about $3,000 these migrants are paying to these cartels. These cartels are telling them the border is wide open. We're going to get you through. You know, many of these Haitians aren't even living in Haiti. About 85% of them are living in Central and South America. They've been living uh, abroad for years. They get they get wrangled in by the cartel. They make the trek, and then some of them are getting uh, deported back. That's one part of it. The fentanyl is out of control. Because of the chaos in Del Rio, the surrounding sectors have had to put all, all hands on deck, meaning checkpoints are closed, there, there are not enough Border Patrol agents. I do want to give a shout out to Chief Ortiz and the Border Patrol. They're doing everything they possibly can from a national security yeah. standpoint to keep us safe, but it's not enough. More needs, to, more needs to happen. It starts with the administration. Texas Representative Tony Gonzalez there with uh, Maria Bartiromo. Yeah, it's bad. Salient thing that came out of that conversation that 
two things just stuck to me. Number one, who are operating the southern border for the United States? One would think it would be our Customs and Border Patrol, ICE, and whoever we put there because Border Patrol protection constitutionally, the responsibility belongs totally to our federal government. But that's not the case anymore. Who's doing it? Who's deciding who comes here? Well, right now at the southern border, obviously it's been this way for a while, those cartels. The cartels in Mexico, they become a huge powerful entity to themselves and they're making millions of dollars charging these immigrants huge amounts of money to bring them across to the United States safely. And then from the other side of the world, we have a bunch of refugees that are here. The Afghani refugees. Who decides who gets to come from Afghanistan to the U.S.? It's not based upon the processes of our immigration laws. It's not, you know, our State Department. They've got a a setup to vet those that want to immigrate to the United States. None of that's happening. The Taliban are choosing who they let out of Afghanistan to come to the United States. Just to be completely honest with you folks, the Biden administration has lost total control of our borders, if they ever had any. I think, personally, it's happening on purpose. And last night, Tucker Carlson on Fox News, he agrees with me, believe it or not. He said the crisis down there was part of establishing a long-term voting constituency for Democrats using immigrants, which have a different standard applied to them under the law compared to we ordinary American citizens. Here's a little bit of what Tucker had to say. So how completely out of control, he asked, is the situation on the southern border in Texas? Well, for one example, on Friday, the Border Patrol checkpoint near El Indio, Texas, directly across the Rio Grande from Mexico, was completely unmanned. There was nobody there. You could have driven a truck full of fentanyl or illegal aliens directly into the United States without being stopped or questioned or checked or anything. No pal, no doubt, people did that. Then two days later, the Border Patrol checkpoint on U.S. Highway 57 just east of Vigo Pass, Texas, was totally unmanned. Again, no one there. 18-wheelers drove right over the bridge from a country in the middle of a drug war and then sped off into the interior of the U.S. God knows what was in those trucks. We'll never know. So Joe Biden really has opened Americans' borders to the world. And this is not just a Republican talking point. It's completely real. There are many more coming. Several large groups of Haitians are moving up from different countries in Latin America where they've been living to come live here. To be perfectly clear, these are not refugees, as the Biden administration wants us to believe. They're not being persecuted by any government. And that's why they have not applied for asylum in any of the countries between Haiti and the U.S. And there are many more of them. Instead, there are economic migrants. They are rich enough for a plane ticket and a smartphone, but they're eager for the free health care, the free education, the housing vouchers, food stamps, and much more that Joe Biden has promised them 
if they make that trek. If you just get to the border, we're going to take care of you. So, of course, they're coming from Haiti. Of course, they're coming from the rest of the world. You would, too. They'd be crazy not to come. Then when they get here, the Biden administration plans to give them rights to vote. That's in the works right now, behind the scenes, and they're not even hiding it anymore. So the people you just heard about could very well be choosing your president at some point down the road. This is, folks, a manufactured crisis. This is an attempt to change the demographics of the U.S. in order to give permanent power to one political party. That's all it is. And it doesn't matter what else they tell you. It is about that. And they're using your tax dollars and mine. They're using the safety and the security, our safety and security. They're throwing it away to get votes. The Biden administration, by the way, knew perfectly well this wave we are reporting about right now was on the way. A full month ago, August 21st, the Mexican newspaper Millennio reported the first wave of Haitian migrants had arrived in Mexico. There were 30,000 of them. According to the paper, they were not docile. They were not grateful to be there. Instead, they tried to storm Mexican government facilities. Here's what the headline said. Elements of the National Guard are guarding the installations of the offices of the Mexican Commission for Assistance to Refugees after a fight among Haitian migrants who attempted to enter these installations by force. That was in the paper down there in Mexico, August 5th. There were verbal aggressions and tension. So that was a scene in Mexico last month. We knew it was coming. The Biden administration knew it was coming. And so here's the other side of this. Parts of our country are already very poor. Forget about places like Martha's Vineyard, and you'll discover that. America could be on the brink of getting much poorer, and this is the last thing we need. And it was preventable, very easily preventable. The U.S. government holds a lot of sway over the Mexican economy. So with a single phone call, Joe Biden could have made absolutely certain that the Mexican government sent these migrants back to where they came from. But Joe Biden hadn't called to do that. He hasn't because he wants these migrants here in the U.S. And so they're coming. And he did this, folks, on purpose. Thousands of Haitians, as you have seen, have swarmed Del Rio, Texas, which is not a big town. As of this morning, close to 7,000 so-called family units under the bridge. More than 300 of those units included a pregnant woman. In the United States, all of those 300 women that have those babies, those babies are automatically citizens. All of these migrants, says the Biden administration, will be allowed to stay in the U.S., no question asked. And the children born here will, will, of course, instantly, or citizens. None of these folks, you should know this because it's telling, are going to undergo any kind of background check, like the background check you go through if you were to try to, say, buy a 12-gauge shotgun according to your constitutional rights. None of them either will be forced to abide by vaccine mandates. None of them. 
They get a free pass. We don't even test them for COVID. So you need the shot you do to work as a nurse for the sanitation department or anywhere. But you don't need a shot to come into our country illegally at the request of the Biden administration. Virtually none of these migrants will ever be deported. Of the more than 3,000 illegals processed in Del Rio just on Sunday, only 327 were supposedly deported to Haiti. All of those were single men and women. We haven't been able to confirm that, by the way. That's just what the Homeland Security Department is claiming. Do you believe (laughs) Secretary Mayorkas? I don't. But even the official claim tells us that more than 90% of these Haitians got effective amnesty immediately. They got on government buses to resettle into what was until recently our country. And then on Monday, two days ago, Haitians on one of those buses revolted, took control of the bus. They did break out of the bus and they did escape, one official said. Do things seem a bit out of control? (laughs) That's because they are. The head of the DHS, Homeland Security Secretary, sitting before Congress yesterday, he testified that in fact he has no idea how many foreign nationals are being resettled in American neighborhoods, and he didn't seem bothered to even admit that in a conversation during his testimony again and again and again. He was asked, no details. So, folks, this isn't getting any better. It's getting worse every day. Sadly, we don't have a clue. We don't have a clue how many are here, who they are, where they came from, what they brought with them, and who they brought with them. At the same time, we're looking at people coming from Afghanistan and the thousands in the same situation. No clue. So how is this going to impact us besides the obvious, the economic part? And people talk about, oh, it's just a few billion dollars. Folks, our U.S. Treasury estimated last year we spent $100 billion minimum on illegal immigrants. $100 billion. Let me just put this in perspective. You got kids? You got kids that are going to go to college now? Maybe they're already there or you're planning for them in the future? Just imagine how many full scholarships our government could give to people. How many young people could go to school, college, university, four years, room and board, tuition, everything they would need? How many could go on $100 billion? Think about that. That's never thought about by this administration. They don't give a rip. You know why? It's None of it's coming out of their pockets. None of it. It's all coming out of United States citizens, voters out there, hardworking men and women that get up every morning. They sacrifice for their families to go to jobs. A lot of women stay home and work in homes. There are more stay-at-home men today than ever. We're living our lives as Americans. We're honoring the rule of law. 
We're doing the deal. We're creating opportunities and stepping into opportunities, doors that are open to us, and we put one foot in front of the other. We trust our government. We trust the laws that they passed are going to be enforced. We trust the things that they tell us are true, and none of that is applicable anymore. Not one thing. The only promise we have, to be quite honest with you today, is what God promised us. He promised us today. He promised that we would have the resources we needed to live and be okay today. Our needs today. We used to have a lot more promises on top of that. I'm not minimizing God's promises. Not at all. I'm just saying we had some understanding, some picture of the viability of our lives just getting along and getting in and being successful in all those things we do. We don't even know now. We're under attack as American citizens, regular old middle-class American citizens, those that we are. We're under attack every day by our own government. They hate us. How can you say that, Dan? I can say it because it's not about what they say. It's about what they do. There are people in ultimate places of authority today that if you don't think the way they think about anything in America, not just politics, anything, they don't just think they disagree with you and think you maybe be, you know, uneducated, unable to grasp the things that they're able to grasp. It goes far beyond that now. No longer is it, hey, okay, we disagree. We're just going to get along together. We'll agree to disagree. That's long been gone. Now, it's if you don't agree with them, you're vile, you're horrible, and you need to be eliminated. And when I say eliminated, they want you out of the picture, out of their lives, out of consideration for anything and about anything. They want you gone. Because you're not worthy. Because you don't parrot their thoughts. You don't say the things that they say. And it's because you're stupid. You're a sycophant. You are just in the tank. You're a racist. You're a xenophobe. All of those rolled into one. Anything that you can think of evil, that's what you're labeled with if you disagree with the power institution that's running this nation. Whatever happened to one nation under God, Whatever happened to equal justice under the law? Freedom and justice for all. Liberty, the ability to come here legally, either be born here, which you're legally here, that means you're a U.S. citizen, or you immigrate in legally. That means you've been investigated. The State Department has found out from where you're coming, you don't have a lot of baggage over there or a lot of lawlessness You're not bringing any of that stuff with you. You're also not bringing any diseases, communicable diseases with you. You do it the right way. None of that matters anymore. All that matters is the globalists in D.C. and elsewhere around the nation, they want to take out the big eraser and just erase our borders totally. And then they tell us, if you don't agree with that, That means you're a xenophobe. That means you hate everybody. You owe, we owe everybody that wants to come here, 
not just the right to come here legally, which a million people from around the world each year come here legally and have for generations doing it the right way. Do you realize that there are hundreds of thousands, millions of Latinos from Mexico and Central America that through the years, generations, have immigrated to the United States, found a place to plug in, make a better life for themselves and their family, taking the opportunity, fitting into the system, getting jobs, getting involved in educating their families, paying taxes, all that kind of stuff. What do you think those people feel when they see Joe Biden just opening up the border down there and letting anybody come in? Most of those people coming in are looking for jobs. What are they going to get into? Most of them are going to get into blue-collar jobs. There's nothing wrong with conducting your life as a blue-collar worker. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the illegals coming in. We have no information about them, no very little or anything about any of them. So where are they going to work? How are they going to get a job? They're going to get jobs in the food and beverage industry, in the agriculture industry. And so what about who's got those jobs now? They're going to be displaced. There's no planning, no preparation, no put-in-place way to operate this new world the Democrat Party is creating. They've changed everything. They've changed the infrastructure of life in America. They're doing it more and more and more every day. And every day we become less like Americans and more like just simply citizens of the world, which is what they want. If you've got an alternative suggestion for us to consider, would you please call and share it with me? 866-37-TRUTH. 1-866-378-7884. I really, I really, I really want to hear your opinion. I'm trying hard, folks. I'm trying hard to understand. Excuse me. Hold on. I got a frog in my throat. I'm trying hard to understand what else could be the reasoning for it. And I can't come up with anything. And I'm not stupid. I'm just trying to figure things out. And A plus B, if it equals C, A plus B plus C equals D every time. And that's not happening in this scenario. So, what do you think is going on in D.C. among the elite folks up there, the power brokers, the power junkies, as they look down at the border in South Texas especially, but also in New Mexico, Arizona, and California? What do you think their feelings are? Well, you just heard a moment ago, Congressman Gonzalez from Texas speaking to Maria Bartiromo on Fox News Business about his thoughts. He's right in the middle of it. His life is, his family is, his fellow constituents are. He doesn't like it. No explanation. I heard Texas Governor Greg Abbott yesterday on a microphone blasting President Biden for what's going on. And this has been going on. I mean, politicians in Texas have been excoriating 
members of the Biden administration for not doing anything, for exacerbating the problem by just allowing more and more and more people coming in, not being held accountable. Forget about what they're allowing to happen to these illegals that are down there and kids. Really, it becomes more obvious every day. They don't give a rip. Forget about what the likes of Ilhan Omar say about treatment of these illegal immigrants. Did you hear the story that went rampant all day yesterday on mainstream media? They showed pictures of guys on horses uh, riding their horses into the middle of these immigrants at the southern border. And when they picked up their reins, which if you know anything about riding a horse, if you have split reins, you have that to be able to control your horse and especially in a crowd of people to keep your horse from trampling some of these people. But they saw these Border Patrol agents on these horses with these reins and sometimes they would wave them in the air showing a horse, hey, I've got this. You don't uh, you don't agree with me. You don't do what I nudge you to do. You're going to get popped with this. But they saw that happening and they called it whips. And of course, that means the border agents are riding through these crowds of Haitians, whipping them with whips, egregiously taking advantage and humiliating fellow citizens of the world. They make everything look bad about everything that anybody that doesn't think like they think, they just got to diminish everybody else. It's this old thing. And I think I've mentioned this here before. One of the things, I'm, I'm, I'm into athletics. I'm into football especially. And uh, in competition in athletics, at every level in every sport, there are two ways to make yourself and your team get better. Practice, planning, working hard, working smart. All those things go into a system which gives you a chance to grow and get better. And that's not just in athletics. That's in everything we do but especially high school athletics. And I look around the landscape of where I am in Louisiana, Northwest Louisiana specifically. In Louisiana, there are several really, really, really good football teams year after year after year in high school. And there are are several hundred in the state, but there aren't many that are in that class. There are probably less than 10. And in the top five, Regarding their achievements in state championships through the last couple of decades, there are only two or three. One of them is Evangel Christian Academy here. So Evangel Christian Academy and these other ones like John Curtis down in New Orleans and the Catholic schools scattered across South Louisiana and even North Louisiana, they're private schools. They all participate athletically in the Louisiana High School Athletic Association that also includes public schools. And so there's a mentality that goes along with in high school athletics, especially in football, of looking down on the private school programs. Why is that? Well, you know why it is. It's because the private school programs, not just in athletics, folks, but in education as well, they tend to do a little better, achieve a little better results in everything they do than most of their counterparts are able to achieve that are in the public school system. Why is that? I think it has to do with the mentality of public, of 
spending not individuals' money in education, in the school system that's there, but using public dollars. Nobody writes a check specifically that you can see, so you feel no accountability. And so human nature kicks in, and it's kind of like a lot of it is I'm just going to do enough to get along. And that spills over into the children, to the students. It spills over into the athletes. But then what happens? These really good schools, some of them, most of them private schools, they come along and there's a different attitude. There's a different modus operandi. There's a process that's different. There's a push to be better, to achieve, to move everything and everybody to the next level. But what I see happen continually, and I've watched it and I've laughed at it for 30 years, when these private schools on the football field, when they year after year after year, they're playing these public schools, bigger schools, by the way, most of these private schools, attendance-wise, are eligible to play in a much lower system. In other words, play foes that are based on high school attendance equal with them, but in the ability to excel, nowhere equal to them. And so I watch these coaches and these principals and these other administrators in the public education system in Louisiana. They hate the private school system here. They hate the achievements these private schools, on the most part, are able to accomplish and not just in athletics, and in athletics, not just in football. I mean, across the board. Little schools will dominate in football, in baseball, in softball, in soccer, in volleyball. And it's not because they're going out and cheating and getting athletes. And believe me, the rules and regulations in the LHSAA, that association, They are egregiously restrictive, and they are weighted, all of those restrictions, against these private schools. Why is that? Because the administration, the hierarchy, and the LHSAA, which is a public entity, are people from those public schools that have adopted that way of thinking. So here's the part I'm getting to for you to understand. Instead of watching the achievements of these private schools, finding out, examining, looking closely at the elements of how these schools are doing it and what are they doing differently from me and my program where we're not achieving anywhere near the results they get and figuring out what that is and then duplicating the process to make us better, they would rather sit across the hall and just lob insults and allegations against the ones that are achieving year after year more than they are, oh, the only way they're doing this is they're cheating. They're going out recruiting players. They come up with excuses to make it okay for their lack of aggression, their lack of pushing, working, planning, implementing, laziness. That's what it is. So we're seeing the same kind of things in our government. And folks, slowly, step by step, it's diminishing who this nation is. No longer 
Is there a push for individual excellence, achieving, accomplishing, making life better for yourself, starting with something less and turning it into something more? The great ideals that drove our forefathers to come across the Atlantic Ocean into a a nation that was, it wasn't even a nation, it was just a big, 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 big island dropped on the planet Earth that it was inhabited by a bunch of different people, Native Americans that were here, lots of animals, mountains, valleys, rivers, gorgeous property, but there was no infrastructure. There was no government. There was nobody here to give anybody anything. They came here, and whatever they got, whatever they achieved, they had to do it on their own. And now we don't have very much of that anymore. And those that do that, that are successful, that pick themselves up by their bootstraps, which is a saying which AOC in a congressional hearing two years ago embarrassed herself horribly, making a big deal out of it's physically impossible to pick yourself up by the bootstrap. I almost puked. I was laughing so hard when I heard that. It's just an example. But it's kind of odd. It's a paradox for her saying that because they don't think, the people of that ilk don't think that it's possible for you to be able to achieve without somebody else giving you something that you didn't work for. And more than that, they think everybody owes everybody stuff. And they want the ability and they're demanding the ability to determine who gets what. Who gets to do something and who doesn't. And it's seldom, if ever, because of any kind of any kind of thing any kind of process that one adopts to work hard and earn something. It can only be because somebody that's more powerful, more connected than they are, has the universal, unilateral authority to make those choices and give you what you, not what you want, not what you deserve, but what they think you should have. That's what's going on in the nation that's consuming us. And that's why we're in the situation we find ourselves in at our southern border at the Afghan refugees coming over here. No concept of who they are. No vetting. That's why we have a thousand Americans still today locked up and hiding across Afghanistan trying to get out with their lives while the Taliban are going door to door looking for those Americans and looking for any Afghan people that assisted the United States while we were there for 20 years. Those are the things these leaders should be concerned with. Honoring the Constitution, honoring their oaths of office that they took to defend and protect the people of America, the people in their districts, the people in their states. To support the rule of law, to do it the right and legal way, to do everything the right and legal way. Instead, they've just closed the book, thrown it on a, on a fire. They don't need it anymore because they are the enlightened ones, the endowed ones, and they're going to take us all by the throat and tell us exactly what to do, what not to do, and how to live, 
and we have no ability to say, hey, wait a minute. If you try to do that, folks, they'll throw every ism word you can imagine after you, diminish you, and use whatever power they have just to blow away your life. That's what we're looking at at the southern border. And it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. How can it get worse, you say? Do you know that just the illegal fentanyl that we have been able to capture coming across our southern border, we, I'm not talking about all of it. I'm talking about the stuff that we've been able to, to capture, catch these drug runners and take away from them. Just fentanyl, not the other stuff. This year, since January 1st, Border Patrol has confiscated enough fentanyl to kill every one of the 330 million Americans that are breathing here today. Did you know that? That's no big deal for Joe Biden. Nobody wants to talk about that. All they want to talk about is, oh, these poor people from Haiti. Most of these people coming in from Haiti, folks, they don't live in Haiti. They're from Haiti. They're living in South America already. How in the heck do you think people that are on the Haiti Island, the one that was just ravaged by another earthquake, where are they getting money to buy a commercial plane ticket to fly to Mexico to come here? Nobody's talking about that. There's a huge number of Haitian people through the years that have left Haiti. And a bunch of these that are coming in from South America through Central Latin America and coming to the southern border, they're not poor, impoverished people that are from a war-torn, earthquake-torn island nation. Some of them are. There's no doubt about it. But they're not all that way. But the picture the left-stream media paint at the behest of this president and those in his administration and those in Congress is these poor people. They all, none of them have anything. They're coming here just to get a chance to make a better life for themselves and their family members. If only that was the truth. But yet people like Secretary Mayorkas testifying before Congress yesterday, he was being asked simple things like, how many people have come? How many people are there? How many have been released? He would not answer one question, not one of those. And time after time after time, Senator Ron Johnson had enough of him. He screamed at him. He said, why don't you have the numbers? Why don't you? You're the Secretary of Homeland Security. You're over all of this. If you didn't do anything else, if that's what your job was, if you didn't know anything else about what was going on around the nation with you at the top of Homeland Security, you would know everybody, even if it was your secretary, would call whoever and got the number of illegals that came in overnight, how many we released overnight, you would know exactly what those numbers were, especially if you were going to go sit and you were going to swear an oath, swear into a committee hearing before Congress, those bosses of yours, and the worst thing you can say if you're an employee when you're talking with your boss and you're asked a question, the worst thing you can say is, I don't know. Because whatever the question is about, it's going to be about your responsibility over whatever you're responsible. And if you don't know that, 
Or if you say you don't know that, it's for one of two reasons only. Number one, you don't know, which means you're not worthy of being that position. Or number two, you're lying about it. Either one of them. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas should be canned. Actually, there's a move to impeach him. Two days ago, in a, in a um, press conference, an informal press conference down at the southern border, he made this statement. Our southern border is closed. It is not open. Why would he even say that? There is no truth in that whatsoever. It's anything but open. In fact, what he's done, what he and Joe Biden have done is they got on their hands and knees all across the southern border with the big eraser, and it's gone. There's no border. We have an open border. Anybody can come at any time, pretty much, and you're going to get let in. You're going to get every bit of assistance that you need to live a good life on the taxpayer, the U.S. taxpayer dollar. That's the way it is, folks. American Ladders and Scaffolds. Deal with the experts. Scaffolding rental and setup. Installation of truck racks, Lear truck caps, tonneau covers, and van shelving. Fall protection. Ladder and scaffold training and inspections. Little giant ladders. Custom access ladders and guardrails for commercial buildings. American Ladders and Scaffolds. Delivery everywhere, every day. American Ladders and Scaffolds. We take you higher. We take you higher. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar. Or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bacon with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion apply. Limited time offer. Look, we know that boy's going to ask again, so let's be ready. Fine. I'll be him. You ready? Ready. Mom, could you hook me up with a GoPhone? You'll run up the bill, son. Yo, that's whack, Moms. GoPhone is totally different. What? It'll only cost me an arm? Chillax. It has unlimited talk and text. Seriously? Word. Okay, we'll get a GoPhone. Really? Uh, really? That is the bomb. Do you even know what the bomb means? Yes. No. Hey! Go phone, only from AT&T. With unlimited talk to 65 million wireless AT&T customers and now unlimited text to anyone on any network. AT&T, your world delivered. Hi, Tom Bodette. Motel 6's new improved website lets you book a room and save more for what you travel for faster than ever. Even faster than you can find your keys, which you swore were right on the little hooky thing by the garage door where they always are, and we can land a robot on a comet, but we can't keep keys from disappearing. Oh, here they are. Left them in my jacket. Don't you hate that? I'm Tom Bodette for the new improved Motel6.com, and we'll leave the light on for you. Need more cowbell? Better yet, how about the ring of truth? TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Share the wisdom, folks. 1-866-37-TRUTH. 1-866-378-7884. Join the conversation anytime. Give us a shout out. And uh, 
tell us what you think about all this. I get carried away. I'm, I'm sure you know that from time to time about the topics that just blow my mind. I can't comprehend. I'm not stupid. I may be a little bit slow, but I'm not stupid. Let me tell you somebody who said something stupid yesterday. Chuck Schumer. Oh my gosh. Listen to what he said yesterday. Quote, It is the hateful and xenophobic policies from former President Donald Trump that are to blame for President Joe Biden's disastrous mishandling of the increasing waves of illegal border crossings. He actually said that. It's Trump's fault. Man, I thought that all died with Biden and Obama in their first term where everything that happened, they blamed it against their predecessor, George W. Bush. I guess maybe Biden taught how to do that. Anyway, here's what Schumer said. I urge President Biden and Secretary Mayorkas immediately put a stop to these expulsions and to end this Title 42 policy at our southern border. He's not saying stop illegal immigration. Stop stopping illegal immigration. Don't expel any of them. And end the Title II policy at our southern border. That's the policy that under COVID, it was initiated in the Trump administration, but under COVID that gave the federal government unilateral authority when people come across the border because of COVID to kick them out. Not just kick them out, literally, but remove them back to their nation of origin. Schumer said, we can't continue these hateful and xenophobic Trump policies that disregard our refugee laws. We must allow asylum seekers to present their claims at our ports of entry and be afforded due process, he said. Here's the problem, folks. That's exactly what the law says. He said it. Allowing asylum seekers to present their claims at our ports of entry. Folks, there are designated by Congress ports of entry in foreign countries where these immigrants from any country are required to go to make their asylum claims. I'm sorry, the Rio Grande River, the actual river between Mexico and Del Rio, Texas, is not a port of entry. (laughs) And so none of these people are coming in here fully intending to file a a realistic asylum claim in the first place. They're told if you get in, because the president, Joe Biden, said this, if you get in, we're going to let you stay. You know what's really odd about this is Schumer thinks that you and I are so stupid that we're going to believe what he said. Schumer's comments come in opposition to the Biden-Harris administration, by the way, which renewed the existing Title 42 policy. But last week, a federal judge blocked the White House from exercising the code by granting a preliminary injunction due to the law's alleged irreparable harm. Politico. Yeah, we believe everything they print. Politico reported the judge's order only applies to families, meaning the Biden administration can continue to expel single adults arriving at the U.S. southern border. Unaccompanied children have been exempt from being expelled using Title 42. That's a great idea. 
Let's let them, let's encourage them. Y'all come on in, bring your kids. And when you get here, by the way, we're going to keep your kids and kick you out. They're breaking up families left and right. Nobody's talking about that. Minority House Leader Kevin McCarthy tweeted this yesterday. The same activist judge made a similar ruling against Title 42 last year. The Trump administration appealed and his ruling was overturned. President Biden must also appeal immediately, McCarthy continued. America's border security is too important to be undermined by far-left activist judges. Corporate media has been critical of the Biden-Harris administration enforcing Title 42 on an individual basis. Monday, one reporter asked White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki what the administration plans to do about stopping the expulsions under 42. So the crisis at the border in Del Rio, she said. We heard DHS say they're going to continue expulsions under Title 42. So what is the White House message to Haitian immigrants seeking asylum? Saki piped up and said, we don't have the immigration system up and running in the way we want, including there is still a pandemic and Title 42 remains in place. In what world did she wake up in that day? We don't have an immigration plan in place yet. You think? Their immigration plan is real simple. I can write it for her. Let's write it right now. Real quick. Here's the Biden immigration problem and their plan for it. The problem is they're not enforcing the law. And their plan is we're going to continue to not enforce immigration law. We got that figured out quickly, didn't we? Did you hear about what happened in Del Rio yesterday? A group of these Haitian migrants, they were on a commercial coach bus that was contracted by Customs and Border Protection. And this bus was transporting a group of 29 migrants from the migrant camp in in Del Rio. As they approached a rest area north of Javier Vega, Border Patrol checkpoint on U.S. Highway 77 in Kennedy County, a fight broke out among the migrants. Cleburne County Sheriff Richard Kilpatrick said in a phone interview this was what happened. When we get a call of an officer or an agent being assaulted, we send everyone from multiple agencies to assist. So, as Border Patrol agents struggled to get control of the bus, a few of the migrants escaped, fled across the highway, Sheriff dispatched his deputies and Texas Department of Public Safety troopers to help those agents in the neighboring county. The sheriff said 24 of the 29 migrants were Haitians. It's not known which migrants were involved in the fight. He said Border Patrol sent two buses with security cages to take over the transport. National Border Patrol Council President Brandon Judge briefed Governor Greg Abbott on the incident during a meeting in Del Rio yesterday, he said the migrants were being transported from Del Rio to Brownsville. And Governor Abbott responded. So what they did in doing that is they committed a crime. And he urged local officials to arrest and prosecute them. 
The Border Patrol Union president told Abbott that Haitians are becoming restless and the tension is increasing after spending nearly a week in the encampment under the bridge. He explained that the news of the removal of Haitian migrants on Title 42 flights to Haiti is adding to the already high levels of agitation among the detained migrants. Currently, Border Patrol is detaining approximately 9,100 under the bridge. Now, you do the math. You do the math. Let's go back to last week when all this began. We were told the number, these are the people under the bridge, started at about 12,000. It went up to 15,000. It's now down to 9,100. The Biden administration says, oh, we've deported all these others. That's not true, folks. Only 300 have been put on flights to go back to Haiti. So what's happening to the rest of them, folks? They're letting them through. They're letting them just go anywhere they want, patting them on the back, giving them a cash card, $1,600 on each one of those cash cards they're giving out to all of them. They don't advertise that, but that's a fact. $1,600 cash card. Y'all go have a good time. Do the best that you can do. And oh, by the way, wherever you end up going, you've got to go register with the local or the closest ICE bureau. That's how they do it, folks. And they just let them go. 9,100, they say, is what they have now. A tense situation down in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. We were just talking about the flights going back there. Many deported Haitian migrants, they were angry. Some even tried to get back on a plane that was going to take off and come back to the U.S. And DHS confirmed yesterday that three U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement officers were injured after two separate disruptions by Haitian migrants when they deplaned on the tarmac at Port-au-Prince. The injuries were serious but not not life-threatening. The flights back to Haiti started on Sunday, and more than 500 have been removed from the country. That's according to Reuters. The head of the U.N. Refugee Agency said the expulsions might violate international law by sending refugees back to life-threatening situations. And, of course, Chuck Schumer weighed in and said the deportations defy common sense. Ooh, I'm afraid of the U.N. and I'm afraid of Chuck Schumer. I don't give a rip what Chuck Schumer says and thinks. Yes, he's the majority leader of the Senate, and yes, he's a U.S. senator. But he is so far removed from supporting enforcement of the rule of law, it doesn't even matter to him anymore. And more and more people are beginning to take their lead from people like Chuck Schumer. That's a scary thought because they live in la-la land, most of them, and they don't have a clue about what's going on. They really don't. So I guess you heard our president made his first appearance as presidents before the United Nations yesterday. Did you hear any of his speech? It was a yawner, but he tried hard, as he always does now when he's lost a lot of his cognitive ability, used to be a great speaker. He could give a fiery speech and doing do it in dramatic fashion. Now, content of those speeches, that's, <laughs> that's a story for another day. 
He always weaved some things in that were right at the border. If not a lie, they were right on the border of it. He got busted for it numerous times. Well, the way he does it now, have you noticed when he gets up now, he just talks normally, reading from his teleprompter, until he wants to make a firm part point. And then he'll he'll just simply, like he's talking along like this, and then he'll say, and this is what, yeah, this is what. He gets loud. And then when it's something that he really wants to enforce, he goes to a whisper. Here's what he said yesterday to the UN. We are re-engaged at the World Health Organization and working in close partnership with COVAX to deliver life-saving vaccines around the world, he said. In January, remember this, he reversed a 2020 decision by former President Trump to withdraw from the organization, the WHO, citing its deference to China during the pandemic. By the way, WHO is just a little bitty carve-out of the United Nations. They seem to be very China-centric, Trump said about the WHO. That's a nice way of saying it, but they seem to be very China-centric, and they seem to err always on the side of China. In January last year, the WHO echoed Chinese propaganda about COVID-19, saying there was no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission, even as the virus was savaging China from coast to coast, all the way across. In February last year, the WHO indicated that the majority of the spread of the virus was just from people showing significant symptoms. WHO Director Tedros Adhanam was reportedly stubborn and naive about praising China, even while criticizing the U.S. for issuing that travel ban on travelers from China in the early days. Remember that? Donald Trump did it, and the left went absolutely nuts. Then the CDC, Fauci's gang, they later came out and said, hey, that was a smart move by Trump. The WHO even praised China for their transparency in the coronavirus. Transparency, even while the Chinese government was working to censor information and news about the spread. The WHO was also reluctant to declare the coronavirus a public health emergency in January. And finally, a pandemic in March, citing concerns of unreasonable fear as a result of acting too quickly. (laughs) So, Biden was up there. Everybody that speaks, all these nation leaders that speak at the UN, they're up there to talk about what they've done and what they're going to do as the leaders of great nations around the world. He discussed ending the war in Afghanistan. Boy, he did a great job with that, didn't he? He talked about tense relations with China that promise a new era of relentless diplomacy. That phrase came from him. A new era, well, it didn't come from him. It was on his teleprompter. A new era of relentless diplomacy. And here we go, the biggie, drum roll, leading the fight against climate change. He even talked about declaring war on Mother Nature because she's taken control of climate change. I'm joking. Biden addressed leaders from around the world for about 40 minutes. He stressed that his administration is different 
from the previous administration. The White House now has a globalist agenda and intends to lead on the international stage in fighting climate change and pursuing democracy, not here. We'd like to have it back, Joe, here, but in other countries. After receiving some really harsh criticism from both the political opposition and European leaders for the tumultuous military withdrawal from Afghanistan, Biden celebrated it before the UN, and he called it a great achievement. He assured the Middle Eastern country is already embarking on a new peaceful strategy. Yeah, right. They're beheading people. They're throwing gays off of three, four, five-story buildings. They're burning people. They're beheading people. They're beheading people, Joe. That's what they do. We have ended 20 years of conflict in Afghanistan, he said, and as we close this period of relentless war, we are opening a new era of relentless diplomacy. We're using the power of our development aid to invest in new ways of lifting people up around the world, of renewing and defending democracy, of proving that government by and for the people is still the best way to deliver for all our people. The only problem in the Joe Biden picture of governing that government by the people, he needs to X that out. That's not what he does. And I'm not talking about what he says. I'm talking about what he does. It's not government for the people, nor is it government by the people. It's government by the government. Leave the people thing out of it now. He, in kind of a left-handed way, sent a message to Xi Jinping, the leader of China. And that message was that his administration doesn't want armed conflict and the door is open to negotiation. We're not seeking the new Cold War of the world divided into rigid blocks, he said. The U.S. is ready to work with any nation that steps up, pursues peaceful resolution to shared challenges, even if we have intense disagreements in other areas, because We all suffer the consequences of all of our failures. If we don't come together to address the urgent threats like COVID-19 and climate change or enduring threats like nuclear proliferation. He also indirectly mentioned the genocide of the Uyghur native people in Zhejiang province in China. The Chinese Communist Party is believed to be holding hundreds of thousands in concentration camps and forcing them into slave labor. This has been a topic of friction between the two nations since the Biden folks reaffirmed the CCP is committing genocide. We almost call out and condemn the targeting and oppression of racial, ethnic, and religious minorities. And he went on and on and on and on, but the biggie was he committed $20 billion more to fight climate change. Let me tell you what climate change really is. You know, I'm an ADD person. You know that, those of you that know me. And you know that uh, I, have to, I have to have boxes in my life. In other words, when I'm doing a project or something, when I've got three or four or five or six or seven or eight things on my plate, like I do today, right now, The way that I best deal with those is I go grab box number one, I open box number one, I take whatever's in it out, and I deal with the circumstances involving dealing with stuff 
in box number one. I finish it, put it back in the box, close it up, push box one over way over on the other end of the table, and I pick up box two. Women, folks, and not every woman, but in large part, they amaze me for a lot of reasons, but the big thing they do is they can be doing eight things at one time and doing them well. It kills me. I got two daughters, and you put those two with my wife and put us in a room, and we have a son. He's the baby in the family, Caleb, 6'9", 300 pounds, but he's the baby. He and I are a lot alike. We just watch and listen to them, and it's impossible to keep up with what's going on. You just can't do it. I mean, when we sit and watch a movie, and the girls and Caleb, if we're all together, which doesn't happen very often because they're all grown and gone, um, when I'm watching a movie, I've got to watch it and listen to it, and nothing or nobody else they can watch that movie and carry on three or four different conversations and go in the kitchen and wash dishes and put something in the oven to warm up, pop some popcorn, all at the same time talking about what happened at the nursery today, what happened at the office today, and never miss anything in the movie. That's the way they are. I think this climate change thing I think it doesn't fit in the context of the reality of life. And here's why. There's no box over there that has climate change in it. I'm not saying that everybody has to do things and think of things and what they must do the same way I do. I'm just telling you. Maybe you do it differently, but whatever's in those boxes, you got to handle them. And how do you handle them? You take what's out of the box and you put whatever is necessary to put with it, then you put it back in the box and it's solved. The climate change to me is like the proverbial bucket of gold or pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. We all believe it's there. We've never seen it, but we believe it's there. Now, I said we all. I'm not including you necessarily, and I'm certainly not in that thing. I don't think there is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow because I've never been able to get to the end of the rainbow. But nevertheless, you know where I'm going. We don't know anything about climate change. We don't know if it even exists. I don't care what they say. There is no proof that absolutely proves climate change is affected by anything that men can do, good or bad, make it better or make it worse. You want to pull pollution out of that conversation, I'm all in. Because we need to do a better job at cleaning our water, at making sure our emissions are not bad, that they're not getting worse. And oh, by the way, nobody wants to mention that in the last 10 years, we've reduced our carbon emissions in the United States every year, and we have done a better job than every other planet, uh, every other nation on the planet. Nobody wants to talk about that. What they want to do is, um, according to Biden, is he wants to double the U.S. climate funding to about $11 billion a year. He's also going to aim to reduce methane gas emissions by 30% no later than the year 2030 and have it totally gone by 2050. Methane, think about that. That means no more cows. That's right. 
Cows fart methane gas. That's a scientific fact. If he wants it to all be gone by 2050, at 2050, I'd be 97 years old. I ain't eating steak at 2050, even if I could, because there won't be any cows. He made the remarks after his presidential approval rating hit, by the way, an all-time low. He's in the tank, as far as Americans are concerned. And folks, it just gets worse and worse and worse. This guy lives on an island, and I think there's only one other person on the island. I think Hunter, his son, he he fled the island a long time ago. But there's Jill, Dr. Jill Biden. And she's got to stay on the island with Joe because Joe couldn't make it without Jill. I mean, she's got to wipe his mouth when he lets food run down his chin. She's got to tell him the names of everybody in the room that he's talking about. And she's the one that's got to tell the people to turn the microphone off so he won't make a fool of himself. That's Jill. Real Truth. Real News. TNN. The Truth News Network. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome, the will to outwork. and the commitment to outlast them all. Ram, proven to last. As politics grow ever more chaotic, remember this truth. When you're taking heavy flack, it usually means you're over the target. Open the Bombay doors. Truthnewsnet.org. Your pilot on this mission, Dan Newman. Just one request about that. I, um, I don't want to be below the bomb. <laughs> I'd rather be on the plane dropping the bombs. You know what I mean? Well, hey, listen, there, there is some stuff that's not being talked about that uh, it's not really good for the administration. It's not really good for Americans. Nobody wants to really speak about it, but it's real and it needs to be talked about. And that's inflation. inflation. And we've got a situation and I want I want to go to Maria Bartiromo and um, listen to her talk about inflation being out of control because she's she's a uh, an expert in finance. She's worked on Wall Street most of her life. She is an expert. But before we do that, you probably didn't hear a documentary 
was created and it was it was put out overnight across Australia regarding Donald Trump. I bet you didn't hear about it. Well, Sky News did a report about it. And um, what's interesting is Sky News is owned by News Corp. News Corp owns Fox News and a bunch of other entertainment and news kind of things. I want you to take a listen to what Donald Trump said in this documentary that was released in Australia last night. And listen to the others that are contributing in this uh, segment from the documentary. There are some really important people in American government. This is Sky News in Australia. Well, former U.S. President Donald Trump has made explosive claims that there were bodies dumped outside the Wuhan lab, which he believes is responsible for the coronavirus outbreak. Live to Jonathan Lee in Canberra for the latest. Jonathan, good morning. This allegation was all part of a documentary that aired last night exclusively on Sky. That's right, Pete. Good morning to you. It was aired last night on Sky. What really happened in Wuhan by journalist and Sky News host Shari Markson. It also really looks at what the US security agencies knew and when. Now, Donald Trump makes the explosive claim uh, that uh, he was told bodies were being dumped outside the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Shari Markson also goes on to say that the lab made a series of strange purchases between September and November, buying a coronavirus testing machine, beeping up their security and also replacing ventilators. Now, it's suggested the first case of this coronavirus outbreak may have come as early as July or August. That's five months before China admitted to the World Health Organization there was an outbreak and there was a serious problem. Now, the former US President Donald Trump was asked last night what evidence he had for his claim. Here's a series of the grabs from the documentary last night. Well, I started hearing stories that you have also that there were lots of body bags outside of the lab. And if they did, in fact, have body bags, that was one little indication, wasn't it? There was an an enormous, albeit indirect, evidence that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was the center point for this. Remember, too, there were 14 American diplomats on the ground in Wuhan at this time. If this was really just some naturally occurring virus because someone ate a bat from a wet market, China wouldn't have done the things that they did. The Chinese Communist Party would not have shut down Wuhan. They would not have silenced doctors and scientists and journalists and disappeared some of them. Meanwhile, Jonathan, new research is indicating the Delta variant is not only more contagious but more deadly also. Pete, that is certainly the case. It's a story out of the Sydney Morning Herald this morning which uh, says that the Burnett Institute and the Doherty Institute are now adopting information out of Canada. It's interesting and concerning because we've known for a while that it's that the new strain, the Delta variant, is more contagious, but it's thought for a while that it was actually not as deadly. It now seems it's the other way, which is obviously concerning for, for very simple reasons. It goes on to say that it's twice as likely to end up... You're twice as likely to end up as in, with twice as likely to end up in intensive care and one and a half times more likely to die than the original variant, or at least the alpha variant. So that all underpins our modelling. Whether that will change the modelling remains to be seen. Peter? None of the biggies in the US are going to even touch that with a 10-foot pole. 
And that's interesting to me. Remember News Corp on Sky News. They allowed, in fact, they produced this documentary. That was former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and the former Director of National Intelligence that uh, you heard in those two sound bites. Additionally, of course, former President Trump. But isn't it interesting? Here in the United States, the mainstream media work in concerted effort with folks like Dr. Anthony Fauci and others that are in the medical bureaucracy that runs the country right now. They want the talk about there being any type of irregularity in any of the things to do with COVID-19 and its treatment. They want it buried. They don't want to even think about there may have been something that happened at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. I've said this before, I'll say it again. We've had pictures, we've seen pictures where during the Obama administration back in 2015, there are pictures of Barack Obama himself with Anthony Fauci in the the Wuhan Institute of Virology, looking over the research that was being done there that was being funded by you and I. We never got an explanation about that, but it happened. And now the reports have been, and of course they're instantly labeled conspiracy theories by anybody who brings them up. You can't even ask a question anymore without being called a conspiracy theorist. So I'm going to ask it. Were there really bodies? Were they being collected around Wuhan? We do know that a bunch of people in Wuhan died of COVID-19. That's not a little town. It's bigger, it's bigger than any city in the United States except New York, Manhattan. Millions of people there. A lot of people died. Do you think we'll ever know the truth about that? I wonder about that sometimes. In many cases, as you, as you know, we still don't know if Lee Harvey Oswald was the sole shooter, the only person involved in the murder of President John F. Kennedy. There are a lot of other secrets that people know about. This thing about uh, UFOs, Oh, we heard for decades, no such thing, no such thing, no such thing. And then we find out all along, there really are UFOs. And apparently they really are aliens from other countries, uh, not other countries, other worlds. In fact, they've come out and said, yep, we've known about it all along. We've got all kind of evidence. Of course, they won't give us the specifics of the evidence, We're spoon-fed what people in power from administration to administration want us to hear and know about. And they're also the ones that when we actually ask a question about some of the things they tell us, they immediately brand us and they shut us down because they don't want anybody looking for answers. You've got to just listen to what we say. Believe what we say. And then there's this thing going on now. It broke over the weekend. Project Veritas. You've heard several of um, the exposés that they have done on the egregious activities. Remember, it was Planned Parenthood at first. They broke all kind of news about the illegal activity by people in leadership and management across the nation in Planned Parenthood. Now, they've taken on some of the COVID-19 stuff. They have now published some serious allegations by a federal nurse, 
federal meaning working in a federal hospital, that authorities are not reporting the adverse effects of the COVID-19 vaccine, but are actually trying to hide them. Now, who's up there making this claim? It was stated by a Department of Health and Human Services nurse, Jody O'Malley, who works at Phoenix Indian Medical Center in Arizona. And this video was posted two days ago. In fact, here's what we'll do. We've got the video, and uh, it's a two-part video. We've got part one. We are going to post it on today's story down at the bottom at truthnewsnet.org. You'll be able to go look at it. Just click on it and see it there. But she recorded several HHS colleagues talking about their concerns about these VAERS adverse reactions that people have had to COVID vaccine during their work at the hospital. Dr. Maria Gonzalez, who's an emergency physician, expressed, quote, the problem in here, in the hospital she's talking about, is that they are not doing the studies. People that had COVID-19 and the people that have been vaccinated, they're not doing any antibody testing. The video then records an exchange between O'Malley and Gonzalez about one vaccinated patient who later presented with symptoms of myocarditis. Dr. Gonzalez said, but now they, the government, are not going to blame the vaccine. O'Malley, well, and you know what? But he has an obligation to report that, doesn't he? It happened, right? What it is, 60 days after if you see anything. Dr. Gonzalez, they have to do that. O'Malley, but how many are doing that? Dr. Gonzalez, they're not reporting because they want to shovel it under the mat. In some later dialogue, O'Malley explains to Project Veritas founder James O'Keefe that she saw dozens of cases of adverse reactions to vaccines that were not even reported. So, what the responsibility on everyone is, is to gather that data and report it. If we're not gathering COVID vaccine data and reporting it, then how are we going to say that this is safe and approved for use? So, in this context, Dale McGee, a doctor, an ER physician, HHS clarified, it's not that it hasn't been done, it hasn't been published. That's why. To which Dr. Gengalis replied, it hasn't probably been done because the government doesn't want to show the darn vaccines is full of SHIT. On this issue, HHS registered nurse Deanna Paris told O'Malley, it's a shame they, the government, are not treating people with COVID like they're supposed to, like they should. I think they want people to die. For O'Malley, it's more important to speak out against corruption than to fear retaliation from the powers that be. O'Malley asked her, what would you say to people who are in a position where they can do something? And she said, I say that we have to do something. Right now, what is plaguing this country is the spirit of fear. And she added, this is evil at the highest level. You have the FDA, you have the CDC, that are both supposed to be protecting us, but they're under the government, and everything that we've done so far is unscientific. And finally, she said, at the end of the day, it's about your health, and you can never get that back. 
and about your freedom and about living in a peaceful society. And I'm like, no, no, this is the hill that I will die on. You know what's interesting to me? When you were when you were young, those of you listening in, obviously it would be addressed to those of you listening in because if you're not listening in, you can't respond. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in. Uh, when you were a kid, did you ever hide things from mom or dad or your friends or your siblings? Did you hide it? Especially when you did something wrong, when you were doing something wrong, you hit it, you hit it, you hit it. But what always happened, every time it happened in my life, either my brother would turn on me and tell mom or dad something that we were collectively hiding, or mom would just happen to discover something that uh, she found that I wasn't supposed to have, or she'd hear from a friend of hers something I wasn't supposed to do. It always came home to roost, folks. It always did. And so why is it so shocking now that we're hearing little bits at a time, we're getting facts from people that we've known were facts for some time, but if we ever mentioned them, we were immediately marginalized. I, I mean, the, the little things. If, if you're white, that means you're racist. If you're white, you're definitely a white supremacist. Why? Because you can't possibly know what people of color are dealing with. You've got to live in our shoes before you can know that. I got to be honest with you. I looked out last night as this little cold front pulled through here and right in front of our house, there's a bunch of trees. I saw some birds flying. They flew in, they flew out. Now, what does that have to do with this? Well, I can't fly. I'm pretty sure those birds flew, and I've never flown. I've flown in planes and helicopters, but I've never flown by myself, but it, it, it can be done. And so we're, we're finding things out that are factual that we're being told aren't factual. There's somebody that looked at that bird and said, physically, the laws of nature, that can't happen. But it happens. When we do things wrong, when our government says things wrong, they're going to face the products of what they've said, and that's what's happening now. The truth is finally leaking out, and it's coming from people that really do know, that people that can fly, the people that already know what the reality of all of this is. And little by little by little, the conspiracy theories are turning into likely. Remember that Wuhan laboratory is the source of COVID-19 for more than a year and a half? Anybody that would even bring that up, that it started there, that it was in the process of being investigated to be turned into a bioweapon by the Chinese Communist Party, and that it leaked out of the lab, that was one conspiracy. The other was that they purposely leaked it into the atmosphere. That was another conspiracy theory. But all that mattered was the fact that it even came from the lab. You can't say that. There's no factual evidence to prove that. 
And all of a sudden, it didn't happen all at once. Mama found it. She looked hard for a long time, but Mama finally found it. And we're discovering now, and the left is now allowing their mainstream media to begin to talk about, you know what? That could really be a factual thing. And we're going to learn more and more of what we don't know. Will we ever know it all? Probably not, because they're so good at hiding it from us. And meanwhile, while this is going on, the left, they just double down on stupid. On Monday, on MSNBC, here's Dr. Fauci, and he now supports a coronavirus vaccine mandate for school-aged children as part of an effort to combat the pandemic. Put this in the context of this one thing. Today, with everything going on, no kids getting vaccinated the way it is right now, there is less than one hundredth of one percent that your kid, if your kid catches COVID-19, is going to die from COVID-19. It's more likely they'll be killed in a car wreck than to die from COVID-19. And here's Anthony Fauci saying, I support a vaccine mandate for school-age kids. It's just one more thing. In an effort to dissuade people from taking that drug ivermectin to treat COVID, the FDA has started running public service announcements and radio ads nationwide. I've seen one of them. A group of doctors and researchers argue clinical trials show it's effective against treating COVID-19, and others point out the Nobel Prize winning drug has been safe for human use for over 20 years. That doesn't matter to the left. It's not part of our deal. It's not part of our plan, just like hydroxychloroquine wasn't. I know people whose lives have been saved. I know personally people whose lives have been saved because they disregarded the narrative coming from Dr. Anthony Fauci and others about hydroxychloroquine. It worked. Ivermectin. It works. And in 2015, it won the Nobel Prize for Medicine. Why? Because it works. In a consumer update accompanied by a photo of a woman dressed in scrubs walking next to a horse. Of course. The FDA states, quote, clinical trials assessing ivermectin tablets for the prevention or treatment of COVID-19 in people are ongoing. The advisory doesn't warn against taking the drug, but taking it for COVID-19 and taking the veterinary version. Now, they parse words. They parse substance to change a narrative. The ad goes on. If your healthcare provider writes you an ivermectin prescription, fill it through a legitimate source such as a pharmacy and take it exactly as prescribed. That's coming from the FDA. Never use medications intended for animals or yourself or other people. Animal ivermectin products are very different from those approved for humans. Use of animal ivermectin for the prevention or treatment of COVID-19 in humans is dangerous. No science that proves that. But yet the FDA says it. 
That same image with the horse was posted on Twitter by the FDA, accompanied by a folksy warning against taking the drug. You are not a horse. You are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. And I'm sure the term y'all, which is an abbreviation for you all, which is a Southern colloquialism, I'm sure that was a slam at everybody that takes ivermectin. It's got to be a yahoo, a redneck. Now, the FDA, by the way, approved ivermectin created by Merck October the 8th, 1998. Well, that's for horses, Dan, right? No, they approved it for use in humans to treat infections caused by roundworms. And its inventors received the Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine for its discovery in 2015. The announcement noting its, quote, consequences in terms of improved human health and reduced suffering are immeasurable. In the more than 20 years that ivermectin has been administered to humans, the FDA and other federal agencies have never issued a warning related to the drug causing serious injury of any kind, any toxicity, toxicity, or any deaths. The CDC's Overseas Refugees Health Guidance lists safe and effective vaccinations and medications to be given to U.S.-bound refugees. Includes, guess what? Ivermectin. Citing research dating back to 2000. All Middle Eastern, Asian, North African, Latin American, and Caribbean refugees should receive presumptive therapy. That's what the CDC says, including albendazole and ivermectin, it states, excluding pregnant women and children under a certain weight and height. I wonder if all of these Haitian refugees coming into the United States down there, what about the... uh, Afghan people that are coming over here, if they're getting these two medications, albendazole and ivermectin, I'll tell you, I'll answer it. No, they're not getting that. And then a 2020 report published by the U.S. National Library of Medicine, it suggests that the drug is effective in treating COVID-19 in the early stages. It states that, quote, ivermectin inhibits the replication of viruses in vitro and its antiviral mode of action suggests an inhibitory effect on severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2, replication in the early stages of infection. However, it notes, currently, evidence on efficacy and safety of ivermectin for prevention of COVID-2 infection and COVID-19 treatment is conflicting. Now, let's take this overseas. We're almost through with this, but let's take it overseas. In seven Indian provinces, using ivermectin as a prophylactic and treatment for COVID-19 in mid-2020, one year after they began using it, not a single person died that used Ivermectin. They found that ivermectin's antiviral and anti-inflammatory properties were beneficial. It reduced risk of death compared with no ivermectin in COVID-19 patients by an average of 62%. They also found that ivermectin prophylaxis 
which is using it to prevent COVID-19, reduced COVID-19 infection by an average of 95%. Why would our big, big, big go-to medical professionals and experts here, why would they come out so hard against hydroxychloroquine, which has been on the market since the 50s? No warnings of anything other than don't take too much. And it's been very effective. One of my wife's good friends in, in high school has had lupus. She's been taking hydroxychloroquine since she was like six or seven years old. And she's 73. No problems. And then there's this ivermectin thing. Why would they do that? There's got to be a purpose. There's got to be a reason. And you know what? When they're asked, they won't answer it. They won't answer it. When it quacks and waddles, it's a duck, folks. It's a duck. I told you about Maria Bartiromo, and she's got some U.S. inflation news. That's a really big deal. I mean, it is a big deal. It's something that we need to pay attention to. She's up next, right after this at TNN Live. Square Packages, the packaging specialists, are proud to present a box on both your houses. The untold story of the invention of the box and the family rivalry that nearly destroyed it. It's a tale about opening your heart, finding acceptance, and inventing the most efficient means of shipping and packaging that mankind has ever known. Proving that to find what's in your soul, you have to look outside the box and into another box, which is a house, your home. And that truly is the greatest box of all. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 for this once-in-a-week-time television event, A Box on Both Your Houses, presented by Square Packages, the packaging specialists. As the sum of each generation before it, the next-generation Corvette stands alone. As the new standard of precision and performance, of engineering and technology, of everything that makes an icon an icon, and a Corvette a Corvette. At Target, our first priority is the health of you, your families, and our team members. That's why we now require guests to wear a mask or face covering and continue to provide masks and gloves to protect our team members. Every day, we deep clean our stores and wipe down carts and baskets after every use. And you can always count on easy, contactless shopping options like drive-up and same-day delivery. We believe in always taking care, and we'll always do that for you. Learn more at Target.com slash a bullseye view. Here's another one that's told and perpetrated by um, the Biden administration. There's no problem with inflation. And 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 folks, I uh, I saw a picture yesterday of uh, a gas pump in California. A woman paying seven dollars and twenty cents a gallon for gas in California. Now it's more expensive there than most other place in the U.S. That's crazy. I look at my life. The day Joe Biden was elected president, I paid that day $1.65 a gallon to fill up. Four months later, 
it was 265 and now 265 is a bargain what what do you call that that's inflation so let's bring in a pro somebody that does this for a living that's been doing it for years and understands the way the economy is structured and not for any political purpose just because that's what she does she's in finance maria bartiromo the bottom line is the Federal Reserve and the uh, administration have been saying that inflation pressures are transitory or temporary. We're going to hear from the Federal Reserve this week. They have a two-day meeting, and they will answer questions about how temporary it has been, given we are seeing price spikes on all sorts of kitchen ta- table items like chicken, commodities. Uh, the price of lumber has come down, but many expect it to continue going up uh, and resume the uh, spike because we've got supply disruptions. COVID has shut down a number of uh, manufacturing facilities, and that has uh, the price uh, being uh, pressured higher because you can't get the supply. But I just want to point to what's going on in the market today because we have a a sell-off underway. The market's going to open in 10 minutes, and you're going to see the market open down 600 points. Why? Because there are worries Mm -hmm. about the impact of a debt crisis in China. There's the second largest property developer, a company called Evergrande, and it is missing its debt payments. The CCP has already come out and said this company will not be able to pay its debt payments, which one payment is due this upcoming Thursday. Investors are speculating on whether or not U.S. banks are going to be on the hook for some of this. So Beijing has to make a decision. Is it going to come in and save Evergrande, pay these debt payments? Is it going to cherry pick and and, and pay other debt payments of other uh, property developers? But Evergrande is China's second largest property developer, and that is what's going on today. And don't forget what's happening in Washington. We have nine legislative days left to deal with the debt ceiling being raised, two massive packages, infrastructure, and the reconciliation package that Nancy Pelosi wants to see uh, voted on by September 27th. All of that is playing out in a big way on Wall Street today. Inflation is real, and it's not transitory. I can't imagine who decided to even invent that word, transitory, but you understand what it is. It just means it's a passing phase. It's not a passing phase. We went through this back in... uh, the 90s. It was incredible. The 80s and 90s, late 80s, early 90s. It was incredible. Prime interest rate went to 20%. Home mortgage rates were 16, 17, 18%. Let me tell you, there are winners when a nation is hung financially in a big rampant inflation segment of time. You know who that is? People that have a lot of money. Now, how how does that work, Dan? Well, look, if you're a working person, you've got a home, you've got a mortgage on your home, um, you've got a job, you're making pretty much, in most cases, making a fixed income, so much an hour, so much a month, so much a year. Maybe you get commission and get bonuses and stuff like that, but basically your income is fixed to some degree. So then what happens? Well, you've got all these responsibilities. You may have kids in college, You've got cars, you've got insurance, you have health care costs, uh, you have food and clothing and all just or, ordinary everyday things. Well, in, when inflation comes, folks, it never strikes just one segment. It's across the board. And so how does a government respond to slow or even stop inflation? 
Well, here's how it happens in the United States. The Federal Reserve comes in. And so what they do is uh, what they do is they begin to raise prime lending rate. So what does that do? Well, that slows down the economy. Economies typically they turn into an inflationary uh, in, uh, they turn inflationary when their economies just get rampant where everybody wants everything and is willing to pay whatever it is to get it. When you can't get it, uh, home building goes through the roof. People want to build homes. Buying, selling of homes, the prices go up. The cost of construction materials and labor goes up. That's inflation. So they start raising the lending rate. Well, then what happens? Banks start raising their rates because they have to pay more to borrow that money from the Federal Reserve to be able to give it to you and me. Who are the banks buying and borrowing that money from? They're borrowing it from rich people that have a lot of cash. From rich companies that have a lot of cash. And so what does that mean? Personal story. My mother was married to a guy that owned a big chunk of a bank. He was a wealthy guy. And uh, what he did, it was his second marriage, my mother's second marriage. And so what he did was he gave my mother certificates of deposit from a bank in South Louisiana, and the rate of interest being paid on those bonds, uh, excuse me, on those CDs floated. And at one point, my mom was making 15% interest on a bunch, a pile of those CDs. So, I mean, you do the math. Let's just say you have $100,000 liquid. And today, that's not really a big number to have, but I guess in the late 70s, it was a big number to have. You have $100,000, and you lock it up in a CD that's paying 15%. Well, let's say you have five of those. So they're paying 15%, $500,000. That one year, you're going to make 15% of $500,000 or $75,000 in interest. And if you don't have a mortgage if you don't have a car payment, if you just pay cash for everything, and if you have a credit card that's for convenience's purpose, and you pay your credit card bill when it comes in, and you keep your bills within reason, you're going to make a lot of money and do really well because you're not having to borrow money. You're lending money. Now, what segment of our society lives in that world? <laughs> I don't know many. I'm certainly not one, and I doubt many people listening in today are people that live in that category, and I'm not diminishing it at all. I mean, people take advantage of opportunities. But guess who are filthy rich in this nation? You can tag, of the 535 members of Congress, I would say probably 60 or 70% are filthy rich. They've got lots of assets, lots of investment, lots of money. And I'm not one of the evil, rich, anti-go-after-em, kill-em, demean them and all. I'm not one of those people, folks. I'm not at all. In fact, if you read today's story at truthnewsnet.org, and I hope you have, and if you haven't, go read it. It's about the reality of those evil, rich people that they're not paying any taxes. That's horse hockey. Even Bill Maher of HBO, who is anything but a conservative, he weighed in it on his show the other night 
got into it with a guest, and he even makes the case that it's crazy, it's a lie from the left that rich people and rich company owners don't pay taxes. In fact, they pay most of the taxes that are paid to our federal government every year. And there's documentation to back that up in the story today. Don't let somebody tell you something and just demand that you listen to it factually unless you know it's factual. And pretty much, this is sad, but it's true. Pretty much any time any news comes out from a left-leaning news agency and it's anti-capitalism, anti-conservatism of any kind, you can pretty much debunk it because it's probably not true. It's based on a particular political partisan theory or idea or policy that that person or those people support. That's when they're doing it, and that's why they're doing it. Now, in all of this stuff going on, Gabby Petito, her death and all the information that surrounds it, tragedy and horror, chaos, crisis at our southern border. In the middle of all of this, we've totally forgotten the news anyway. They've totally forgotten about Afghanistan. Appearing last night on television, former U.S. military officer Jean Marie Thrower said that approximately 1,000 Americans remain in Afghanistan following the administration's botched withdrawal from the country. Trace Gallagher asked her, the State Department says roughly 100 are still trying to leave Afghanistan. This guest disputes that number, saying the number is closer to 1,000. Jean Marie Thrower with Plan B Afghan Rescue Crew. That's who she is. You and your organization, Trace said, are doing exceptional work. Tell us why you believe there are a lot more, maybe 1,000 Americans trapped in Afghanistan. She said, definitely, there are more than 100 being stated. We have multiple groups of teams working together. We continue to work with these rosters to know where they are. I want to say as a veteran, I am appalled by our administration and how they disrespected Americans and our allies, as well as put our soldiers' future operations globally in jeopardy. And yes, there are approximately 1,000, maybe even more Americans in fear, locked up, avoiding Taliban, in Afghanistan looking for help to get out. Meanwhile, also in Afghanistan, State Department took a victory lap yesterday. Hey, hey, hey! What for? More than 20 Americans, 20, wow, were on board a Qatar Airways flight from Afghanistan to Doha two days ago. They've safely evacuated the Taliban-controlled country. Ned Price, State Department spokesman, He said, we can confirm that a Qatar Airways flight departed from Kabul with 21 U.S. citizens, 48 lawful permanent residents on board. We are thankful to Qatari authorities who continue to coordinate these flights with the Taliban. As we have stated before, we're going to continue to help U.S. citizens, lawful permanent residents, and Afghans affiliated with the U.S. government to depart Afghanistan. Isn't it interesting? They take these victory laps every time some citizens come out. In fact, if you'll remember, 
One story early last week, our government had nothing to do with, in fact, had blocked this group of people from getting put out, and a not-for-profit in the United States uh, operated by some veterans that formerly served in the Middle East and in Afghanistan went and got a donated commercial jet and put the whole thing together themselves, and the State Department wouldn't even clear the people that were on board. They still got them out. And then the State Department came out and said, look what we did. A thousand more to go, Joe. A thousand more to go. Yesterday, we reported about this $3.5 trillion spending frenzy that the Democrats want to take on your taxpayer money. They call it, I don't know what they call this freaking bill, but it's a funding bill and it's full of all kinds of pork and stuff. Well, the Senate parliamentarian stepped in and said, you can't do it. Why can't you do it? Well, the reason they can't do it is because they wanted to do it by budget reconciliation, which means they didn't have to have the 60 senators to vote to stop um, consideration and actually take a vote on it. Unless that happens, unless the majority under Senate rules, which is 60 to do that particular thing, unless that happens, you can't bring a bill to the floor to vote on. And they can't get 60 senators to support it. So what does that mean? A bunch of the spending wahoo that they were going to cram down our backs they're not going to be able to do. That's Chuck Schumer, of course, and Nancy Pelosi. But guess what? Congressional Democrats are planning today to propose lifting the debt ceiling through the 2022 midterm elections as part of their plans to fund the federal government through December. Now, here's what they do. Here's how they do it. They craft this. Any bill that goes up for consideration... It never, folks, listen, it never stands on its own for one particular item of consideration. Like, pretty important one, the debt ceiling, raising the debt ceiling. When these things come about and what's about to happen is the Democrats are going to pack this spending bill that's not a spending bill. It's supposed to be raising the debt limit, simply that and nothing else. They're going to pack it with all kinds of pork that they can't put in this $3.5 trillion bill. They're going to try to get their goodies and doing it coming through the back door instead of doing it the right way, the regular order way, which is to put all of this through committee hearings. They didn't even do that. We're talking about a $3.5 trillion spending package And they didn't even do committee hearings. Can you believe that? We'll keep you posted on that. That's going to finish things up here today at TNN Live. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you listening, coming in. If you miss a show at any time, you can always go back to today's story, whatever day you're looking for. At the bottom of that story published at truthnewsnet.org, There's a link to that day's TNN Live show. Or go to Spotify Podcast, Apple Podcast, and just put in the search bar, TNN Live. It'll take you to a menu of every show we've ever done. 
Until tomorrow, have a great Wednesday. Hump day. We didn't hear from Clyde today, did we? Have a great hump day. We'll see you tomorrow morning right here, 9 to 11, every weekday morning, 9 to 11 Central. See you tomorrow.